0: Morning, my name's Kathy, and I'm going to read the Bible now. If you'd like to follow on, um, it's from Romans, it's in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. If you haven't got a Bible or a device, put up your hand and the ushers are coming around and we'll help you. <clears throat> For I consider... That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God, God's sons to be revealed for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption the redemption of our bodies now this hope we by this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees now if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with patience in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do, know not, do not know how what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God we know that all things work together for the good of those who love god who are called according to his purpose for those he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined he also called and those he called he also justified And those he justified, he also glorified.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. It's really excellent to see you here today. Welcome to our church and welcome to our ongoing series, uh, God's vision for the future. We often think about our own plans and our own visions, but we're spending some time thinking about what are God's Plans, purposes, where's it all heading? Uh, And today we are thinking about the idea of our home. Uh, I really like watching the show Grand Designs. Uh, I'm not sure if you like like watching it, but uh, it's a little pompous at times as a great host. But sometimes he'll say things like, great architecture uh, can transform our lives and improve humanity and cure cancer. And like he's got some pretty high claims on great architecture. But it's a great show, isn't it? As you watch a couple. Uh, work out how to create their life by building a home. It's not just watching a building get built, it's watching these people trying to shape their lives in a home that is designed perfectly just for, for them. Uh, and there are hundreds of other shows and websites and industries all dedicated to the buildings that we live in. Uh, Australians spend something like $12 billion a year improving their homes. We want to repaint, renovate, rearrange, extend. There's a reason why Bunnings and IKEA are packed on the weekends. Why is that? It's because humans aren't designed to simply slot into a sterile cubicle at the end of the day like we're a machine. We don't sit on a shelf or hang on up in a cupboard or just live out in the open, sleep in the wild where we're standing like animals. No, we all desire a place we all desire a home, somewhere we can call our own and where we belong. Whether it's our own room as a child, or our own home as a family, or our own office at work. You know that feeling when you've been away for a while, and you finally get home. And it feels right, and it feels good, because this is where you belong. Even if the place where you were staying was fancier and nicer, this Is your home. It's actually part of how God has created us to desire a place. But it's also part of God's promise for our future. Now last week we began to think about time and eternity to really understand what God is doing in the world and in human history and we saw that God is in control of everything and everything is heading towards God's glorious purpose of uniting all things under Christ, his glorious kingship, his glorious forever reign. We also saw last week, didn't we, that Christianity is not old-fashioned and stuck in the past. Christianity is not something of oppressive, outdated morality and understanding of identity and personhood. On the contrary, Christianity is grounded in the future and in truth and in life, anchored in the hope that we hold on to, the certainty that Christ will return and be revealed. Do you know that day in the Bible is described using two words, to return and to be revealed, because to believers He's returning to the world, He'll be revealed. But the world, on the other hand, they're stuck in the past. Time is running out for them. So right now, Christians live both in this world that is fading and where we don't belong and in the kingdom that is coming, but we're not there yet. So it makes the question of our home complicated. When we're in this world that's continuing but will pass away and at the same time we're in God's kingdom His reign, which has already begun, but we're waiting for it to be fulfilled. For Christians, life now is about waiting for the day of the Lord, but more than that, using our time, making the most of our time, working towards that day and the fulfillment of things, all things, when Christ returns. So if last week we saw that God has time for us. God makes time for us. This week, we're really seeing that God has a place for us because the future, God promises, God's revealed vision for the future is in fact a brand new place for us to be in and to enjoy forever where we dwell with him. God's vision for the future is a home for him and for us to be together. A place where we belong. We're not alone. We feel at home. Somewhere where there are only good things, where there is light and life and laughter and fullness and community and a place of plenty, a whole new creation it's called, a home where we truly belong. And sometimes as Christians, I think we imagine the future and we find ourselves kind of thinking of a a ghostly realm of angels and clouds and pearly gates and some wings on the back and the Bible actually promises us a rock solid physical reality. Physical resurrection bodies in a physical land, dwelling in a physical city, the new creation. That's our home. That's the place that our Lord Jesus has prepared for us by dying for us. Friends, you need to know that life is short and everything in this world crumbles and rusts and fades and breaks everything needs repairing and fixing and replacing and knocking down and rebuilding nothing lasts just ask Stuart and parish council about the very long list of repairs these buildings and this property needs Stuart's the one who's awkwardly in that yellow vest wishing he had, didn't have to wear it but uh, God has in store for us a place that lasts forever in bodies that lasts forever in community that lasts forever where God dwells with us forever. Now, as I said earlier, you can see the importance of place for God's people all the way from the beginning of the Bible. When God creates the whole world, and the way it's described at the beginning of Genesis is he divides light from dark. He separates heavens from the earth, the land from the sea. He creates these spaces, divides them, and then... He fills those spaces with more of his creation, in the right place, exactly where they should be. The sun in the day, the moon and the stars at night, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, the animals on the land. Everything has its place in the order of God's creative purpose. And then he specifically creates humanity in his likeness, bearing his image, and he makes a garden. And he puts man in that good and beautiful place the garden is the perfect merging of the waters and the land and the sky it's all there it's just the right place for man to live in and for him to multiply and create community most importantly it's the place where God walked with Adam in the cool evening breeze and fellowshiped with him in fact God had made this garden He'd made this place and he'd given mankind the job of making the rest of the world fit that model. Fill the world, he says, subdue the world, he says, rule the world and turn the wildness of the world outside of Eden into the order of this place, a garden, a home that supports life and human flourishing, that creates community and brings joy." God gave us this world to do something with it. Creation is not a temple to be worshipped. It's not something to be preserved. It is a resource to be used. I mean, imagine an artist who hands back his untouched tubes of paint and says, I didn't want to make a mess with them. I didn't want to ruin them. Here they are. Or a chef hands back the ingredients, and says, well, I didn't want to harm them, so here are all the ingredients or a carpenter handing back the wood or a, you've missed the point. It's like the parable of the talents that Jesus tells, where the servant says, look, I kept your investment exactly as you gave it to me. In fact, I buried it and did nothing with it. Here it is. And he's rebuked, isn't he? I gave it to you to do something with it. God has given us this world filled with so many things, these bodies, these minds, these lives, do something with them, make something of them for God. And so it's how God has created us that we desire to make a place on this earth, to shape it, to bring order to it, to make it our home, to make it work. But of course, all of that is corrupted because of sin, isn't it? Because the very best of us, our representatives, Adam and Eve, there in the goodness, the very goodness of creation, with God, they rejected God's purpose, they rejected God's word, they rejected God's rule, they rejected God's love. They went where they shouldn't have gone. And so a big part of the punishment was. They were banished from that place, separated from their home, scattered and cut off and cast out from where they were meant to be into a world now under God's curse because of them. A world of suffering and pain, a world of hard work, a world of hard work and lostness and isolation and blood and sweat and tears and death. That's not where we were meant to be shut out and away from the presence of God. But that's the nature of the world right now. That is the human experience. I love how the Bible is so good at explaining exactly what is happening in the world because it is still true and marvelous that the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19 says, you can see the hand of God in creation and in sustaining life. It's, it's remarkable this world. But at the same time, we saw in Romans 8, that reading just before, didn't we? The creation is now corrupted and groaning and broken under the weight of sin and darkness. Because this world, there is life and there's inevitable death. There's plenty and there is always famine and floods and droughts. And there is order and chaos and futility and decay. And now people are so obsessed with creation that their home is almost its own religion. As Romans 1 says, they gave up knowing and glorifying their true creator and instead they worshipped created things. Even as Christians, sometimes we can spend more time thinking and praying and talking with each other about property prices, about home renovations, about decorative touches, about new style trends than we do about God and his kingdom work in our true home. So here's the question how do we get back to the garden? How can we get back to the place of life and belonging and satisfaction and fullness? How can we get back home? Well, this is the story of the Bible. From the very beginning, the idea of a place for God's people is huge and continuous, this theme of the Bible. It is enormously significant that God speaks to a man called Abram, who changed his name to Abraham, speaks to Abraham and blesses him. God initiates a relationship with him and promises him, Abraham, I'm going to give you a place. In Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, in Genesis 17, God makes a covenant commitment. I will bless you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you by making you a great people. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing so that the whole world will be blessed through you. I'm going to bless you and give you a land for your offspring these promises are amazing the problem is you keep reading Genesis you keep reading Abraham's story and you know what Abraham dies sure after a very long and prosperous life but the only bit of land he ever owns is a gravesite a tomb where he buries his wife Sarah and eventually himself is laid there his descendants And his family end up spending 400 years as slaves in Egypt and finally get to escape that place and then they spend another 40 years in the desert wilderness. But then finally, they enter the promised land, the land that Abraham had wandered around with in his tents. His people now live there. And again, the Bible introduces, reinforces this idea of a place and a home because that land is described as a land flowing with milk and honey, as a land they didn't have to work for but it was given to them by God. With houses they didn't have to build, provisions they didn't have to get for themselves, vineyards they didn't have to plant. That's the power and the grace of God, a home that he built for you. Now listen to Deuteronomy 6, this should come up on the screen. Uh, This is Moses speaking to Israel just before they're about to go into the land. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. See, they've arrived at this place and it is good. Is this the place we need to be? Is this the land? If we all flew there now, would we all of a sudden experience right relationship with God and peace and harmony? No, the opposite. They're not back in the garden. Because it doesn't last. Even in the land God had promised, the people still forget God. Almost immediately. Immediately they reject God and turn to other gods they suffer they lose battles they get sick they experience famines and eventually they're kicked out of the land exiled as punishment from God the question still remains where is the place where is our home where do we need to be to experience belonging and life and happiness well you know what's interesting There is an extra blessing that people often forget, a promise that was made to Abraham. Everyone remembers he was promised land and promised blessing and promised to people, but there's another one. In Genesis 15, I'm gonna read a passage, and even as I read it now, it'll probably slip by and you won't even notice. Again, should come up on the screen. Then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that doesn't belong to them, they will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, did you see it? I mean, it sounds like Abraham won't ever own this land, it is descendants, four hundred plus years later, will come and get it. His offspring will one day be there, he's gonna die. Sure, at a good old age, still dead and buried, but notice it actually says you will go to your fathers in peace. That, that word peace is so significant. It's the word shalom. It's the Old Testament word that means completeness and prosperity it means joy it means friendship and wholeness and everything is as it should be that's what Shalom means God promises Abraham you will die and then you will be joined to your community then you will be plugged into your family then with the rest of God's people of faith who've gone before with them you will enjoy peace and goodness and rest and life Abraham had wandered around for decades without owning anything No land. And he only got his son when he was 100 years old. He'd waited so long, but he didn't die disappointed in God. He didn't feel like he'd been hoodwinked on the blessings or missed out on life because Abraham believed in a better place. Abraham believed in a perfect land, a city built by God's hands. He believed in the resurrection and in the heavenly reality to come. He trusted God's timing and believed in God's place. And we know this because of what we read in Hebrews 11. This great chapter filled with heroes of the faith, great examples to us of what faith means and the difference it makes. Have a listen to how it describes how Abraham saw things. Hebrews 11 verse eight, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place That he was going to receive as an inheritance he went out even though he did not know where he was going by faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise living in tents as did isaac and jacob co-heirs of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose architect and builder is god so he's happy to stay in a tent He's happy to wander around, he's happy to be a foreigner and a stranger and not to belong and not to fit in. Why? Because he's looking forward to the perfect city. The architect is God, the designer and the builder is God and you think well maybe that is describing Jerusalem. Maybe he's looking forward to Jerusalem, he never gets there. Uh, Let's keep reading from verse 13. These all died in the faith although they had not received the things that were promised but they saw them from a distance greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. See the people of God back then and now are those who say we are foreigners and exiles on the earth. We are temporary residents. When you become a Christian, you are changing allegiances. You're renouncing your citizenship of the world and taking up a new citizenship, looking forward to a new and better homeland. Like Abraham, we are wandering through a foreign land because we're seeking a homeland. And where is that? Verse 16, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared... A city for them. That's what Abraham was looking forward to. That's what Abraham knew was coming. That's the promise of blessing that he knew was coming after his death. A better place than this earth. A better home than a beachside, harbour view, front mansion in Sydney. A heavenly city and home built by God. Where did you notice? He is not ashamed to be called our God. Talk about a home. Home is somewhere where you belong and fit in. It's not just about the building, is it? It's about who you share it with. This is a place where we're truly at home because God welcomes us and lives with us and embraces us and delights in us, completely unashamed of us Christians in a world where we do not belong and we never will. We don't even want to. We do not fit in. We're strangers and exiles. Don't be ashamed of God. Because in Christ, God is not ashamed of you. Don't settle down in this world and be taken in by the, the, the glitter of this world because God has a better place for you. We desire a better place, a heavenly place, an eternal place, a better home, a better country. Christians who get entangled in the thinking of this world with the desires and temptations of this world, with the values and priorities of this world are lowering their standards and accepting garbage satisfied with trash when God's glorious vision for the future through Jesus' death and resurrection and through his ascension into heaven, we have a better place. We have a better home. And here's what you need to know. I'm going to take up next week more of the details of what heaven and the new creation will be like. I'm going to explore the Bible, what it says about the details of our new eternal home. But for now, some implications from knowing, like Abraham, that God is the architect and builder of a perfect city. More than that, He's not just the designer, he's the host who welcomes us into his eternal home. What this means is firstly, this isn't our home. We need to keep reminding ourselves of that. We need to keep gathering together and speaking that word of truth to one another. This isn't our home. The Bible in 1 Peter calls Christians scattered exiles among the nations. This world, this city, these houses are not our home. Philippians urges us to live as citizens of heaven to use the time we have in this world to reflect where our true home is where we belong where we accepted with God in heaven where he dwells Jesus has rescued us from this world of darkness the Bible says from these times of evil redeemed us from slavery of sin and ignorance imagine the Israelites thinking here I am in the promised land but my real home is Egypt with slavery and death no But that's how Christians sometimes think of the world. That's not our home. In fact, the Bible calls the world the domain of the evil one. How could we ever belong? So no wonder Jesus says, this world will hate you and persecute you because they hated me first. This isn't our place. Expect to be rejected, expect to be treated with derision and scorn. You will not fit in, you will not be approved, you will not get their affirmation. More than that, the Bible says rejoice in their rejection because blessed, Jesus says, are those who are persecuted for righteousness because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Great is their reward in heaven. Rejoice, Peter says, as you share in the sufferings of Christ in a world that hates Jesus. Don't be, a, don't be surprised that you feel homesick and that nothing in this life can take that feeling away. And contentment and satisfaction seem to just slip through your fingers. It's because we're not home. Don't be surprised that you don't fit in with your friends or your workmates or social media with the way they think and act and speak because if you did fit in, that would be a problem. This isn't our home. We do not belong here. We are strangers in this world living in bodies that the Bible describes as tents with our eternal dwelling. Our everlasting home is in heaven. More specifically, this isn't our place. This building is not the church. We keep calling it the church, it's the rain shelter that the church meets under. This is not the presence of God. This building is not a holy place. Our gathering together is the spiritual reality of being gathered to God. We could meet under the tree, we could meet on a train, we could meet in a tunnel, we could meet in the rain. This is simply a convenient and functional shelter. You are the church, not this building. More on that next week, though. So the way that we live, the way that we plan, the way we spend our time and our money ought to reflect that while we live here and we need to make the most of our time here on earth, this is not our home. Remember Jesus said, do not store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Store up treasure in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So buy a home. Renovate the one that you've got. But remember, it's a tent. It's not your treasure. It is temporary. Make it a reflection that your true home is in heaven. So make it about ministry. Make it about hospitality. Make it about generosity. Make it a home full of hope which is our second implication. Live as people of hope. There are a lot of struggles. Living in a place where you don't belong. Living as exiles without a home. Living as refugees, strangers and foreigners in a foreign land. That's us. As Christians, we will experience the frustration. This isn't our place. But in the midst of it all, we're always filled with hope. Christians, we have such a deep joy And soul satisfying contentment that comes not from this world or temporary circumstances, our hope and our joy and our our peace, our shalom comes from knowing that we have a better home. We belong in a better place. We'll soon be in our true homeland in the city built by God so we are not the grumblers. We're not the whiners and the complainers. We're not the ones who criticise all the time, whinging that God hasn't solved my problems or given me everything I wanted yet, that this church isn't perfect yet, that our fellow Christians are annoying. We We are the people who are full of hope. We're full of joy and expectation. And so we are full of active love and contentment and evangelism. Live as people of hope. Thirdly, I want to ask, is our future home this earth renewed? or a brand new earth? A lot of Christians debate this one. Is the new creation to come, this earth, restored, fixed up, repaired? Or is this world completely destroyed and a brand new earth created, a new creation? The old heaven and the old earth have passed away. Lots of discussion, lots of debate, and the answer, of course, is yes. (laughs) Because what this physical world will undergo Is a sort of resurrection released from the bondage and curse of sin in the same way that these physical bodies will be resurrected on the day of the lord will it be this body just revived and regenerated or will we be given brand new resurrection eternal bodies and the bible's answer to that one is yes now knowing that i will be resurrected and given an eternal body Does that mean I need to be really precious about my body, and reserve my energy, and keep myself really safe now? I've got to preserve it, I've got to protect it, because I've got to make my body healthier now, I've got to lose some weight now, because I'm going to get resurrected. Got to make sure nothing goes wrong. No. It's good to care for your body, but you will be getting a brand new one. So the Bible says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Take up your cross and follow him. That's what you do with your body because this flesh isn't our eternal home. It's the same with the world. Sure, maintain it so it can sustain human life, but it is all going to be dissolved and done away with. Christians who are obsessed with trying to make culture now or the environment now or social systems now perfect are wasting their time and our energy. This isn't our home. Because this earth will be replaced by a better world and a better place. A perfect home for God and his people to dwell in together. So perfect, so glorious, so joyfully, beautifully good that I'm really excited to spend time next Sunday exploring what heaven and the new creation will be like. And the key feature of it might surprise you. But that's next week. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have spoken in your word this powerful, glorious word of truth and you have revealed your vision for the future, a home for your forgiven people to live in with you. Thank you, Father, for the confidence and assurance and certainty and hope that we can have that there is a better place. A better land, a better country, a better home that you have built and designed, where we belong. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, by His blood we have been washed clean. By His resurrection, we've been given eternal life. Father, we pray that you would help us to live in this world, strangers, exiles, people full of hope and joy, while we wait to go home with you we prayed in jesus name amen